0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Slow down, touch your life Don't you know there's friends to be found Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show, sponsored by Sunbury Press, publisher of books under nine different imprints in a variety of categories, available worldwide wherever books are sold. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder of Sunbury Press, and today I have Reverend Bob Ford, the author of Rabbit Stew for Your Soul and many other books. I'll tell you a little bit about Pastor Bob and, uh, and his work, and then we'll get into our interview. Bob Ford has been hunting rabbits since he was a kid and has traveled the country with hunting beagles. Over the years, Ford has developed many recipes for rabbit, and you will find just a few of them here. He developed these recipes over more than three decades. Some go back to meals that the author's mother made. Visits to restaurants inspired others. An abundance of harvested rabbits inspired some of the recipes, while others were created for those hunts where just one rabbit is brought to the game vest. Rabbit meat, domesticated, is now very popular. And while Bob created these recipes with wild game, they certainly would work well with domesticated rabbits as well, making adjustments for the increased size of domesticated rabbits. Rabbits are a sustainable source of protein and very low in fat. The contents of this book are recipes developed by a good hunter who is a good home cook. Bob Ford, is a United Methodist pastor who has lived most of his life in the Allegheny Mountains of Pennsylvania, except three years at seminary in Ohio. He has spent 23 years in the pulpit and 34 years following beagles in the same Alleghenies where he was born, raised, and worked. Bob is an award-winning magazine columnist, blogger, and author. His work has appeared in numerous hunting-related publications, and he's also the author of Beagle Tales series, which is published by Sunbury Press, he lives in the hills with his wife Renee, and a pack of hunting house beagles where he serves as a pastor. Welcome Bob, welcome to the Sunbury Press book show.
0: Hey, hey good morning. Good to see you again, talk to you again.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> and uh you know, we for years we've published your Beagle Tales series and now we're we're actually going to be talking about uh what they've been helping you catch all these years and how to prepare it. But my first question for you is regarding the beagles. How many do you have now?
0: I have six right now. And and uh, So how does that – I probably have – well, I have uh, have offspring uh, from the dogs that were featured on the first covers of the first books that we did. So I'm kind of a generation along now. I still have a couple of those older dogs that were featured on the covers of the first books. And uh, now I got pups from from those dogs that are taking over the pack and young and enthusiastic.
1: So I have to ask you about Renee. How is she doing? Hopefully well. She's doing well.
0: She's staying busy at uh, Penn State where she works uh, in the Smill Business College, and she's also staying busy in ministry at churches uh, not far from Penn State as well.
1: So I have to ask you, and I'm sure the audience will be curious, how much of a dog lover – was Renee when you guys were getting together?
0: I would say she was a dog lover. Uh, She had, I believe, a Labrador growing up. And uh, she, she, she was, you know, positive about dogs. Now, having to live with beagles was a completely different story. I mean, when they sell things to child-proof a house so that your kids stay safe, those things aren't nearly complicated enough to keep a beagle from stealing food. So... Uh, you know, there was an adjustment there with just the uh, pure stubbornness that beagles can display in terms of their desire to steal food. We had one, or I had one, that taught herself to open a refrigerator, and that was uh, that was a brand-new experience even for me as a longtime beagle owner.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I can imagine with uh, with a half a dozen of them. I mean, we have one dog here. Here at our farm and uh she she's more than enough for us i, I resist uh <laughs> mrs nor wanting to have more than one i can't imagine having six so <laughs> anyway <laughs> so i know uh you've been an avid hunter beagle uh, rabbit hunter What what else do you hunt with beagles is it primarily rabbits only rabbits yeah Yep, it's only
0: rabbits uh, and, and, you know, snowshoe hare, which are very similar to rabbits, different species. Uh, Down south and and, in other parts of the country, you can use beagles to hunt deer, but that's not a practice here in Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. And forgive me, I'm more of a novice on this, and I know maybe some of our listeners are. Maybe maybe they'll be knowledgeable uh, rabbits. Tell us a little bit about the you know your travels you you've ranged pretty far and wide with your hunting as i understand
0: i've i've been i've been as far south as alabama uh where i hunted swamp rabbits the largest subspecies of uh the cottontail and had successful hunt there Um, I've been as far west as Montana, there's a cottontail species in the Rocky Mountains called the mountain cottontail, you can't find it any further east than out there, Uh, I was out there for an outdoor writers conference and drove to Montana, I would typically fly to these conferences, drove with just one dog, and uh, we camped some, and we stayed in hotels, and uh got one rabbit of that species, um, and uh, I put it on dry ice and mailed it back to my taxidermist, who was kind of surprised that I would spend that much money on shipping for this thing because I shot a nice buck in deer season, and I, I wasn't too worried about taxidermy work on that. So that caught him off guard, but that's how serious I am about rabbits and a species that doesn't exist here where I live. And so people like to look at that mount. Uh, snowshoe hare, I've hunted snowshoe hare as far north as Maine. Uh, I've hunted snowshoe hare in New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, and Pennsylvania. Um, here in Pennsylvania, uh, there's two species of, of rabbits. There's the, uh, the eastern cottontail, and they're in abundance. And where I live in the higher parts of the Alleghenies, There's a lot of Appalachian cottontails, which is a subspecies, and that's a very similar, some scientists say, identical species to the New England cottontail, which I have also hunted uh, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts and uh, on Nantucket.
1: Wow. Well, I, I have to admit, I've had rabbit in my life, and I'm over 50 years old now, but probably twice. I can definitely recall one, and I think there was another one. I believe both times it was in the South, uh, really nice restaurants. They had it on the menu. I remember thinking it was delicious. And, uh, you know, what did it taste like? <laughs> I'd hate to say what kind of tastes like chicken because everybody says that about different foods, but it had its own flavor. What uh, Yeah, of those different varieties that you, you mentioned, the different species, is there one that you would favor in your recipes that is perhaps the best for uh, culinary pursuits? Oh, I
0: I find them all very similar tasting until there's a lot of snow. Now, when you get a lot of snow and their diet changes, um, then you can get into some gamier taste. So, for instance, I know guys that think snowshoe hair tastes very gamey and almost like a pine salt kind of a taste. And if you shoot them in the winter when there's three foot of snow on up there, they're living on bark and they're living in cedar swamps, and they can have that kind of a taste to them. In the fall, I think they all taste remarkably similar. Uh, In the fall before they're eating snow, uh, when they're all eating grasses, um, and maybe uh, some shumack bark. I think they all have a remarkably similar taste, Uh, but I tend to cook more cottontails just because that's what I'm getting in Pennsylvania. And I can't tell the difference in taste between the Appalachian cottontail and the Eastern cottontail. And I, um, you know, they're both very common where I live.
1: So how would you describe the, the taste or the flavor before you've of course seasoned it and sauced it and done all that? Just your base rabbit. What's it like for those that have never had it?
0: I think it's a little – for meat, Um, it can be a little sweet. I I think it's uh, kind of a neutral – kind of a neutral taste that way. And, you know, I I soaked the rabbits for a day in the fridge to, you know, uh, get out any trauma from where they were shot and everything. And and it turns out to be a very white meat, uh, you know, so – think think more like you had said more like poultry than than like red meat um and uh you, you've gotta be careful sometimes cooking it because you gotta remember anything in nature that eats meat at all, right down to crows uh invading a nest of baby rabbits, everything eats rabbit, and so you're cooking an animal. That while it's been free range, its whole life it's been running its whole life, and so sometimes low and slow is the way to cook them, just to get them tender, because all that running can make the, especially the back legs, a little bit uh, tough.
1: Now most rabbits are in pretty good shape, you're saying, at least the wild. Yeah,
0: yeah, except. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Except for, you know, you'll see some in the suburbs sometimes living under a bird feeder and they can look a little wrinkly, like they've been doing pretty well. But when you're out in the places where you're hunting, yeah, they can be, they can be fit. They can be fast. They can be tricky. And when you wind up uh, cooking them, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, don't overcook them. Don't, don't uh, go too hot and and get them real tough because they they can do that sometimes. But uh, if you cook them, if you cook them slow, if you take your time, uh, if you do a little research on it, uh, it can be, I think, one of the best tasting meats. And I think it's also, uh, it it's a sustainable meat, and it's good exercise getting out there and walking around with a pack of dogs.
1: So I know this this book came about. Uh as you were finding different ways, thinking of different ways to uh, utilize that delicious rabbit meat in many different ways. Uh, Tell us a couple of your favorite recipes from the book.
0: Yeah, you talk to a lot of traditional rabbit hunters, and uh, you're going to get, I like fried rabbit. And everybody likes fried rabbit, and everybody makes fried rabbit. So I didn't want to put that in the book because uh, it's just – too commonplace. Although I did stumble on a new way to make it this year that I might put in a second cookbook. but So I thought I would try alternative ways. Uh, and one of my favorites that I came up with, just looking at the refrigerator, we get, you know, we live in rural place here and you can still get dairy delivered. We get dairy delivered every Tuesday morning. We get a dozen eggs, half gallon of milk and a quarter, half and half for coffee. And sometimes we don't keep up with the eggs. So I had, I don't know, two dozen eggs sitting there in the fridge. So I decided to make a scotch egg or a big batch of scotch eggs. And uh, not only was I making a scotch egg, which is sausage surrounding a soft-boiled egg, um, not only was I using eggs that way, but since rabbit is so lean, in order to get it to adhere to the soft boiled egg, uh, which pork would have no trouble doing because of the fat, I was adding eggs to the ground rabbit meat, which was seasoned, seasoned identical to what you would have in a breakfast sausage. And so I could make five, six eggs, scotch eggs, which are eggs covered uh, with the sausage and use a dozen eggs just to get rid of them. So I tried it originally just to use up these box of eggs in my fridge and it turned out to be one of my favorites.
1: And so I put that in the cookbook right away. Yeah, that's tasty. I'm, I'm a, someone who likes my eggs and uh, I'll have to try that. Um, now, I know you've, you know, you've, you've gone to uh, outings, you've gone to parties, other people, um, like a, or a football game or whatever. Um, have you had any instances where you've surprised your guests or your host with the with a dish like this rabbit faced
0: yeah a couple times uh you know people haven't known what they were eating and they're found out and were hesitant uh you know I remember we were tailgating at a Pittsburgh Steelers game and KDKA was going around with the camera and uh the cameraman was filming and uh the reporter was hesitant because it was rabbit, you know, but all these people around are trying to goad her into eating this rabbit stew. And because of the pressure on TV, she tried it. And she was really surprised. She said, oh, this is really good. I was kind of surprised by that. And, uh, one other time my wife and I had guests over and we cooked what I call Buffalo rabbit wings. They look, they're cooked kind of like a, a bait chicken wing you know how sometimes people will bake chicken wings and uh so what i'll do is i'll put a breading on them and flash fry them and then just bake them in the hot sauce for a you know maybe an hour to get them tender and uh you know this was in state college and you know state college has some folks from rural backgrounds but there's also people from you know backgrounds where they did not go in the woods or hunt and there was a friend of my wife's who ate, I don't know, she might have ate a dozen of these, <laughs> a dozen of these thinking they were chicken wings, thinking they were chicken wings, and she was right into them and really enjoying them. And then when somebody said, oh, I didn't think you would try the rabbit meat, and she said, what? And those were <laughs> rabbits. She said I thought they were chicken wings, and she said no, no, those are rabbit. And although uh, she didn't uh, say anything more, she stopped eating them just because in her head she knew they were rabbits. But prior to knowing what they were, she was really enjoying those wings.
1: <laughs> she didn't. She didn't happen to go to the bathroom like right away, did she? <laughs> no, no. I
0: I I, I was kind of worried about that, and I, you know, and and they're not shaped like a chicken wing, so I figured maybe she would have figured it yeah. out. But you know. Yeah. They're I mean they're kinda of similar shape to a chicken wing, but not really. But I guess when you're hungry and getting in there she just didn't notice. <laughs>
1: well that's funny. Well I'm thinking too, as you know, I'm a big um fan of history and I, I love to think about American history, just history in general. Thinking about the history of food. Um, you know, in our lore there's a lot of talk about rabbit this, rabbit, that, rabbit stew. Rabbit was probably a very common food the further back you go in time when when do you think we crossed from having lots of rabbit in our diet or a regular regularly regularly having rabbit in our diet versus today when we you know hardly anybody even thinks about it
0: yeah i don't know i know uh there was a time when i know in the 50s anyway when my father first got into beagles uh, back then, I believe, I'd have to fact check this, there was a long period of years where the beagle was the number one AKC registered breed, and lots of guys had uh, a beagle, even if it was just one that they had in the yard, and they would train it and hunt with it. And, um, you know, I know uh, there was a sharp decline in hunting of all kinds, Uh when we went from a more agrarian and rural society um, to more urban. And I believe it was after World War II when most Americans began living in cities. And prior to that, most Americans lived in rural places. Um, And so, and even in rural places, there aren't as many farms as there used to be. So when I was a kid, we would hunt farms. We would hunt, you know, hedgerows, between farms, and those just aren't there anymore. I more typically hunt uh, reclaimed surface mines now in Pennsylvania, old strip mines for coal that have goldenrod in cover. Um, So, you know, I think most of the people that study the trajectory of hunting in America would say that, you know, the decline starts after World War II. Less less people are going into the field looking for food. Um, You know, but prior to that, I mean... I had a church member give me a old a page I guess it was her mother's or something it found in a desk drawer from the 1960s and the local newspaper had a whole page of rabbit recipes in there.
1: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'm guessing it was more common you know back maybe around the time I was born and before that so before the 60s. And, you know, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about, well, what's really replaced rabbit in our diet? Well, you know, with this industrialization, with s- suburbs and grocery stores and all that, it seems like chicken is uh, among meats is, you know, so common and everywhere. And so back in the old days, though, you didn't raise chickens as meat chickens. You you had chickens because you wanted eggs. And when the chicken got old, then you put the chicken in the pot. <laughs> you had chicken and you had stu- uh, soup and so on. And so you would think that uh, and I'm guessing and I, I ought to do a little research on this just to satisfy my curiosity, but I'm guessing that chicken was less common rabbit was more common because you know more open space, and yeah, you could pick up your rifle and go go hunt along the edge uh, the And I know there
0: are places there are places where domesticated rabbits like i I passed up at a local used bookstore in State College. There was this Italian cookbook written in Italian. I know some Latin. I could pick up bits and pieces here and there. And there was a whole section, like maybe a third of the book was Rabbit. And uh, I passed it up. And then a few weeks later, I thought I could probably find somebody to translate some of these. And I went back, and it was sold by then. I had... Ah. Kind of missed the chance, but I was told then I was talking to somebody, and they said, "Oh yeah, in uh, Sicily and in other parts of Italy, um, they don't raise meat chickens; they raise meat rabbits, and that goes back centuries,"
1: um, mm-hmm. which I thought was
0: interesting too.
1: So now this this cookbook follows after uh, a long series of books. On your dogs and Beagle tales, which I guess isn't just about the dogs. The dogs enter into just about every story, um, but the the stories are are more about the people in your life that you run into and and have messages in them, positive messages, uh, hopeful messages. You know, how how would you characterize uh, Beagle tales if someone asked you to describe it?
0: Well. I began writing – the first story I ever sold to a magazine uh, was back in the days of fax machines, and Better Beagling still had a fax machine in, oh, 2001, up in Vermont they were based then, and I wrote a humor piece. Um, I grew up reading everything Pat McManus wrote. Of course, Pat McManus is the undisputed king of outdoor humor. Uh, He wrote for Outdoor Life and before that, Field and Stream. So I faxed the story, and they're like, yeah, this is great. Uh, Can you send us one every month, and we'll send you a small check, emphasis on small probably. But yeah, yeah, so I started. So I began writing Outdoor Humor, uh, which I, I like writing humor, but I'm writing for a Beagle magazine, so obviously I have to have Beagles in there. And at one point I was writing for three different Beagle magazines, uh, three different humor pieces every, every month. Um, and there would be rabbit hunting in there, or maybe just, uh, you know, stories about living with dogs. You know, I think, you know, I had one that was pretty popular about how I would take a pack of dogs, four, five, six dogs to train at the Beagle club. And my wife was away at a conference for Penn state and she left her car here. So, uh, rather than take my truck, which has a dog box to haul them, I took her car because better gas mileage, right? <laughs> so I just threw these dogs in the back seat of the car, and when my wife comes home, there's nose prints all over the glass and everything, you know. So you know, I I basically use the beagles as a as a vehicle or a medium to tell a different story. Um, I mean, yeah, books are about beagles, but. You know they they can be a, a, about a lot of actual topics, uh, but you're going to find beagles in there in some some major or another.
1: Yeah, yeah, you do work in some humor, a good bit of humor, and and some of the uh, the funnier tension between husband and wife that happens in all marriages. That's uh, healthy, <laughs> I think. Um yeah. But I have to ask you, um, you know, the hunting, the, the dogs. And all that. Do you work that into your ministry when when you're on a Sunday morning? Does that get into your sermon ever?
0: Sure. I, I talk a little bit about the dogs and the hunting. Um, probably the more important role that they fulfill is, you know, I, I I pick a scripture Sunday night for the next week's sermon. Scripture by text message to church secretary. And then all throughout the week uh I'll be working on that sermon, and I'll do some of the i don't know if you call it hard academic work i'll 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 uh do some of that Sunday night maybe first thing Monday morning if I'm preaching uh a New Testament passage I'll have all the lexicons I need to pick apart the Greek or if it's an old Testament passage I'll have the Hebrew, uh, you know aids, grammar aids to help me there i We'll work on that. And then when it comes down to the hard work of it, I rather than sit at a desk and think, I'll be out in the woods with the dogs. So even when it's not hunting season, uh, I'll be out in the woods with dogs. Uh, and in the summer, when it gets daylight early, I might be in the brush by 530 in the morning uh, before it gets hot and let the dogs chase for an hour or two. And I'll work on the sermon Um, And let that be the background music that I use for work. And uh, then in the hunting season, the hours change, of course, daylights later in the day. And, you know, uh, there's times when I'll go out at four o'clock, say in December, four o'clock in the afternoon, hunt one hour till dark and come home. Um, And those are all times when uh, I'm allowing myself to be open to the spirit and open to thinking and use that time to, Write whatever these offerings are that pastors call sermons.
1: Yeah. Must have, uh, yeah, very inspirational to be out there in the woods or outside in nature a good bit of the time. I need to be doing more of that myself. Hey, we only have a few minutes to go, and I, I want to give you time to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, what's next, what might you be writing, what am I going to see in my, uh, my inbox as a potential publication.
0: Well, I have uh I have enough published articles uh in the Beagle magazines um to produce another in the series of Beagle Tales. Maybe I might even have enough printed for two more Beagle Tales right now and growing. Uh I've been experimenting with recipes and I think I have another twenty really good ones for another cookbook. And awesome. uh, you know, You know, the other thing that, um, you know, go on social media to see what friends are doing and relatives, you know, you get relatives flung throughout the country, and if you're going to see what they're up to and see pictures of the family, that's where you go. Now you go to social media. I find it such a mean place. Um, And so I just started uh, taking some of the random thoughts that I have while I'm out with dogs in the morning, Uh, things that don't all necessarily get distilled into a sermon, sort of tangent thoughts and i would put a post i consider too long for facebook but i would put it on there just for something positive and nice rather than mean and quarrelsome and although they're too long i would think for most people to read i've had a real positive response to them quite a few people asked me to put them in a book as well as the beagle tail stuff and uh so you know i've done the uh oh, so strenuous work of cut and paste from my Facebook page onto a Word doc, and uh, then I'll just have to, you know, go back and get the typos and things like that. But I'm really considering putting that out there as a book and uh, just random positive faith-based theological reflection that's a little, more, uh, a little more complex than some things that you will find, uh, but not... But not overly so, and uh, I consider them more conversation starters than than pat answers. I'm not a big firm answers guy on these things. I just use them to spark conversation and dialogue.
1: All sound like great ideas. And unfortunately, we're out of time. We could probably talk for hours about uh, that and the rabbits and the recipes and the tools. We've been talking to Bob Ford, the author of Rabbit Stew for Your Soul. Bob, it's been great having you. Hope to have you back.
0: Yeah, great to talk again, and uh, look forward to seeing you again as well.
1: All right. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Mm-hmm.